Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. If you would just remain standing just a brief moment, I want to direct your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm just going to read three verses in your hearing. Amen. Thankful for our nursery staff, as you can see, if you need that, you may be dismissed for that. 1 Peter 2, 1, Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in Him. Amen. Hallelujah. We have any people that trust in the name of the Lord today? Am, am I starting to already preach to anybody that's tasted of the good word of the Lord? Amen. Well, I want to preach for just a few minutes on this subject. Have you tasted the word? Amen. Let us pray. Jesus, this is your church, not mine. And you know everything and every need and every situation and every person, God. So I pray that according to your word, it is anointed, and I believe it is appointed for this hour. Now, on the authority of your word, I pray that, God, you would let a demonstration take place and confirm your word with signs following. Let me say nothing more or less than what you want to say in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You may be seated. There was an elder preacher who had gone to... <clears throat> college campus where it was an outdoor amphitheater style and a popular atheist was giving a speech declaring that there was no God and he went on for I don't know how long of time but just continually uh, debunking so to speak all of the myths of the Bible and why God did not exist was not real etc and so forth and when he got all done with his speech he then opened up. There were mics throughout the uh, setting. If you wanted to ask a question, you could go up. And this elder preacher was the first to raise his hand and go to a microphone. And he reached into his brown paper bag that he had brought for lunch that day and pulled out a red, golden, delicious apple and bit into it and started chewing. And he says, I just have one question. This apple that I'm eating, is it tart or sweet? And the scientist, man, whatever he was, he said, well, sir, I, I have no way of knowing that. I've not tasted your apple. And he said, exactly. And neither have you tasted my Jesus. <laughs> so I have a question today. Have you tasted the word? You know, ironically, Ezekiel in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, is told to eat a scroll representing the Word of God. It was sweet to his mouth. John has a very similar experience where he used to eat the book. It's sweet as honey in his mouth. It becomes bitter in his stomach because God wanted him to prophesy some things. And by the way, when you feel the results of, of sin in this world and you see that and you know the Word of God, it probably will make you sick to your stomach. The point of both of these prophets, though, is not to literally eat the Bible. You know, that's not what it's saying, okay? So just want to get that clear out there in case any children go home today and start putting hot sauce and, and ketchup and mustard on their Bibles. That's, that's not what it's supposed to do, okay? 
It, it, it rather it's to experience God's word to its fullest extent, allowing it to nourish your soul and to replenish the things of God in your life and cause you to reflect his glory. In other words, don't just read God's word, let it read you. Mm. Let it be the mirror that reveals God's word of what you need to work on. Let it be the hammer that breaks what needs to be destroyed and builds what needs to be established. Let it be the milk and the meat of the word that sustains your life. Let it be the two-edged sword of the spirit that protects your soul. Encounter God fully is what it means. That's what it means to taste His word. Encounter Him fully. My wife tells me I'm not like any other man. Now that's some good and bad in there. Depends on the context of the conversation. But in one of those things is I like to read instructions. Now most men, I should, I, let me rephrase that. Some men just, you know, they get something, they start putting it together and they wonder why they got 13 screws left over. And then they wonder why it doesn't work. Well, I'm the guy that will open up and read the, read the instructions. I want to know. So, you know, I recently got a, a smoker for, you know, and, and I'm reading and it says, priority. You have to season the smoker. And, and had I not done that, Pastor Lucas, I don't know that the food would taste just right. I don't know if it would be just right. Well, you know what? We have a, a manual Come on, we have some instructions. And if we would just read and do what it says. Well, okay. Smith Wilgerworth said, The Bible is the Word of God. Supernatural in origin. Eternal in duration. Inexpressible in valor. Infinite in scope. Regenerative in power. Infallible in in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. He went on to say, read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, and then pass it on. Truly, it is the Word of God. It brings into man the personality of God. It changes man until he becomes the epistle of God. It transforms the mind, changes the character, takes him from grace to grace, gives him an inheritance in the Spirit. God comes in, dwells in, walks in, talks through, and uh, sups with Him. That's the power of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. And if you've tasted that he's good and gracious, as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, then you will want to lay aside sin. You will desire his word more and you will experience growth. I want you to put up 1 Peter 2 1 again and take a look here with me, real quick. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. What's so amazing about grace? is that yesterday's salvation, if you just go back to the previous chapter, right, because there's a therefore, that means we have to go back. And in the previous chapter, the last few verses, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about being born again of incorruptible seed. So yesterday, what's so amazing about grace is yesterday's salvation leads to today's separation. 
Salvation is incomplete without separation from sin. Ah, you see, justification freed you from the penalty of sin. Praise God for that. There's no way we could pay that. The wages of sin is death. And that means we would have to die and we can't atone for our sin. So that means we would die in our sin. But Jesus came along and said, I'll die in your place. I'm the lamb that will take away the sin of the world. And so justification frees us from the penalty of sin. And then sanctification, where we walk with Him, live with Him, sup with Him, obey Him, study His Word, etc. and so forth. It frees us from the power of sin. And then when He returns, He's going to glorify us, which means we'll be freed from the presence of sin. Listen, only one-third of those or two-thirds of those is not enough. It is incomplete salvation. You must be justified. You must be sanctified in order to be glorified. Amen. You see, here's, here's the reality. Many are called, few are chosen. That verse, that verse just, oh, it's like, God, are you sure you want to say that? Are you sure you want that in your word? Right? Straight is the the gate that leads to eternal life. Straight is that way, right? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But the, the straight way, the narrow way, few find it. Oh, God, are you sure you want to say it that way? Because once it's said in his word, he can't lie. And then I was praying about this the other day, and God showed me in Revelation, it says that those that are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. And then it dawned on me, called, justified. All of us love to be called. All of us love to be justified. There's a lot of people preaching today. You can be saved. In fact, they're preaching it the right way. They're saying you need to repent of your sins. They're saying you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. They're saying you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise God they're preaching the right way. They're even preaching that there's a heaven coming and a reality coming and a second coming. They're preaching it. But they're not preaching sanctification. They're skipping over that. They're leapfrogging over it. It's not important. And I'm going to tell you it is. Because it, if you don't have that, it's incomplete salvation. In 1 Peter 2, 1, there's an understood you in the grammar. You lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. You see, God's word will point out sin, but it's up to us to remove it. It's up to us to say, you're right, I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to stop doing that. I'm going to think differently, act differently, whatever the case is. But how do we lay aside the sin? What exactly does that really mean? The word, the phrase, lay aside, means to deliberately renounce sin. When you consider the cross of Jesus Christ is the epicenter where His unconditional love for mankind and His absolute hatred for sin clashed and met. And with every strike of the hammer, with every swing of the whip, with every blood drop that fell, His love for humanity met His hatred for sin. Can I tell you, we need to renounce it. We need to put it off. We need to get away from it. We need to hate it. We need to lay aside all all sin. Psalm 97.10 You that love the Lord hate evil. There's no compromise. There's no middle of the road. Well, I, I love the Lord, but I you know, kind of like some evil. 
No. Amos 5.15, hate the evil, love the good. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Hate it. What is some of these things? Let's, let's look a little bit deeper. Malice. It's holding on to a grudge about some wrong done. It can be real or even perceived. In other words, perceived means, it doesn't mean something didn't initially happen, but you've held on to it for so long that it becomes more about the perception of what happened rather than what really did happen. Here's what I mean by that. If I don't see you at a stoplight and I don't wave, it doesn't mean I wasn't purposefully ignoring you. Depending upon that stoplight, like the one out here at 108 in Maple, there's eight lanes. And if I'm turning this way and you're turning that way, I, chances are I'm not going to see you. You might become offended at that. But then you might want to add to that and perception starts adding to that reality. Well, he must not. He's preaching to me. He preached that verse because of what I did. And now you've got these perceived thoughts. That's what malice is. It, you see, it's not just like lighting a match and it fizzles out. It's an inward burning flame that if you don't snuff it out, if you don't deal with it, it'll become an out of control wildfire. But see, you're born again now. Go back to, to 1 Peter, the ending of 1 Peter. You're born again now. You need to renounce all malice deliberately. Let the washing of God's Word cleanse you to where that flame can't survive within you. What is deceit? Deceit is baiting and ensnaring someone, being dishonest for personal gain. It is creating such a lie that you are convinced it's the truth. Again, it goes back to perception. It's trusting your perceptions of situations rather than wanting to know the truth about others. It's where prejudice is born. It's like the, the funny story that we, we tell sometimes, and it, 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 I heard it first around Thanksgiving time where the newlywed couple, she was going to make her first turkey and she cut it in half, and the husband said, what are you doing? He said, well, mom always did it, and they called mom. Why'd you cut the turkey in half? I don't know, grandma did. They called grandma. Why'd you cut the turkey in half? My pan was too small. But nobody knew why they were cutting the turkey in half. And three generations later, daughter had a big enough pan, but that's what mom did. That's what grandma did. So, boom, we're cutting it in half. Listen, you're born again now. You must renounce all deceit deliberately. Don't drink its poison. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Let his truth restore and reconcile you. Hypocrisy, put all of it away. It's acting in part and putting, acting a part, and putting on a show. It is the complete opposite of being authentic. But you're born again now. So deliberately renounce all hypocrisies and be genuine. Jesus Christ is the ultimate place of hope and healing. And He wants every one of us to be a safe place, a connection point that others can discover His freedom and recovery from their pain and their sin and their hurt. Envy, put it all away. It's a seething uh, pain. But when others are praised and, and promoted and, and prospered, you seethe within. 
And, and it works hand in glove with jealousy, causing you to compare yourself against others. It keeps you from identifying with the unique person Jesus called you to be. But you're born again now. So deliberately renounce all envy. Learn to rejoice with those whom God blesses and celebrate their victories and be genuine about it. And then he says, and all evil speaking. This is speaking down to others. It is the outward manifestation of the four previous inward sins. All of those malice, uh, uh, deceit, uh, hypocrisy, and envy are all inward. They begin inwardly. You can carry, you know what? You can come to church and be carrying them. You can have on your, your Sunday best and be carrying them because they are inward. It's, it's hard to recognize them unless God exposes them. Now you know you've got it, but others may not. But evil speaking is when that volcano finally has said, I've had enough, and it's got to erupt and spew its poison. You see, it, it begins to be revealed outwardly through evil speaking. So what Peter is doing here, he is saying, he says, you got all this inward stuff in you and it's about to explode unless you deal with it at an altar. You've been born again. You've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Deal with this. You're born again now. Renounce all evil speaking, realizing that the power of death and life are in the tongue. Uproot those things from your life and plant the fruit of the Spirit. Did you know in Revelation 22, the tree of life is mentioned? It's mentioned uh, next to the crystal clear river of life in the New Jerusalem. In fact, it says it bears 12 types of fruit and brings healing to the nations. I believe this prefigures Jesus Christ. I believe this is giving us a typification of Jesus. He is that tree of life. In fact, I go all the way back to the garden. I think he was the tree of the life in the garden in, that, in, in typology. Okay? Because he brought healing to all of us. But he also meant his church to do so because once you receive the Holy Spirit, you now have the fruit of the Spirit. You've got the seed to grow the fruit of the Spirit. God wants us to bring healing to the nations. Sister Nancy, it's like you mentioned this morning, amen, on earth as it is in heaven, I need to be praying, God, what do you want here? What do I need to loose here? What do I need to bind here? In fact, in Omaha as it is in heaven, in Fremont as it is in heaven, in Nebraska as it is in heaven, in Iowa as it is in heaven, in the world as it is in heaven. I need to deal with this. I need to get that out. Why? So that I can then desire the Word of God. You see, you'll desire more of God's Word when you lay aside sin. When you empty out yourself of those things that shouldn't be there, you're going to want to fill back up. And, you, and the positive here is to desire God's Word and fill up with God's Word. You see, God's Word will either keep you from sin... Or sin will keep you from God's word. Well, amen. No man can serve two masters. Matthew 6, 24. For you'll hate the one, love the other. Or hold to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. This phrase, as newborn babes desire the milk, there in verse 2 of Peter, right? As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. 
It, it doesn't mean become a babe in Christ. That's not what it's saying. He's giving you an as. If this meant to become a babe in Christ, well then, as the deer pants after the water brook, we all need to become deer too. So it's, we know that's not what it's saying. I'm just pointing that out, just making sure we understand. A little bit of hermeneutics here. Okay? What it's saying is, just as a newborn babe has to have the nourishment of its mother's milk in order to produce those vitamins and minerals and nutrients to grow, like that babe desires the milk, we should desire the milk of the Word. We should long to let God speak to us. I want to grow. I want to develop. I want to mature. I want the Word of God. By the way, when an infant cries... Basically, a couple reasons. They're either, you know, need to be changed, or they're hungry, or they're not feeling good. They're not crying to make you mad. They don't know right from wrong yet, okay? Just want to throw that out there for any, any people needing training on infant, you know, children, okay? As, as they grow older, yes, they're, they're going to have some issues. But when they're, when they're you know, infants, they're, I promise you, they're not trying to keep you awake at night. There's, there's a problem. And the only way they know how to get your attention is, right? Here's the point. God, you know what I need best. I'm not dependent from you. Ah, I need you. That same desire, that same passion. I don't know what I should pray for, so I need you to pray through me, Holy Spirit. Are you understanding what it's saying? As newborn babes, desire it. We should desire. I want more of God. I want to be like God. I want to hunger for Him. I sometimes don't even know what I need to pray for, so I'm just going to go, Jesus! Hallelujah. I want the pure milk of the Word. Because without it, I will not grow. And that's what the rest of the verse says in verse 2. That you may grow thereby. God wants His church to grow. That is numerically. That is individually. God wants us to grow. I won't read it, but Ephesians chapter 4, 11-16, the fivefold ministry talks about maturing in the Lord. Talks about growing in every way to become more like Christ. God wants us to grow. You see, as a born-again disciple of Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to succeed spiritually. You ought to say that again. That was good. I think I will. As a born-again disciple of Jesus Christ, you have everything you need to survive and succeed spiritually. Spiritual maturity is not a process of gaining things that you did not have when you were born again. Brother Joey, I told you I was going to call on you. Here it is. Seven years ago, when you were born again, you got everything you needed from God to to, to thrive and succeed spiritually. It doesn't come. Okay, I'll prove it. When a baby is born, they have five fingers, five toes, two arms, two legs. They've got the, their bone structure. They've got their organs. Obviously, those grow. Obviously, those get bigger. Obviously, they develop. But they have everything they need to be called a human being. 
When you are born again, you have everything you need. Here's the problem. We're not accessing what we have. We're not opening up with our faith. We're not taking the key and putting it in the door. We have all we need. I remember when I first came here, I had been on a kick of the Word of God. And I remember preaching as as a brand new pastor here 13 years ago. And if you have a question, the Bible has the answer. If you need your marriage fixed, the Bible has the answer. If you're going through financial struggle, the Bible has the answer. It's still true 13 years later. Let me tell you, if you have a need, I know where to find the answer. It's right here in Jesus, in His Word. We've got to desire the pure milk of the Word. You see, if we're not careful, we can diminish or damage our growth and our eternal destiny by not laying aside all sin and desiring God's Word and growing. And as damaging as sin is, we have to acknowledge that it's not because we lacked anything but because we did not appropriate what we have through Christ to succeed. When God asked the question of Adam, the woman you gave me, God asked the woman, the serpent, and it started this trend of blaming others. And God asked the question because he already knew the answer. And we need to take all ten digits and point them right here and say, it was me. That's why I love David when the prophet says, you're the man. He could have had him killed. He's the king. He could have ordered one of his soldiers to draw their sword or spear and thrust him through. Instead, Psalm 51 becomes his prayer. Oh God, I've sinned. I've done this awful evil thing. Please forgive me. He didn't blame one person. But counter that by Saul when he's approached by the prophet. Oh, well, um, the people, we, we wanted to save some. He had Adamitis. He didn't, he didn't take responsibility. As I prayed and studied for this message, God dealt with me about some who've tasted that the Lord is gracious but fall away. I want to read to you a very sobering passage of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. This is a very sobering three verses in Hebrews. As I read it, I, in my mind I begin to, if I can use this phrase right, challenge God. I don't mean to say I questioned Him I, or He's God, I know that, but it, my CSI mind, I begin, but God, wait a minute, the prodigal story, and wait a minute, you forgave Nineveh, and wait a minute, God, you, you, you gave Jezebel a space of grace to repent. God, what, what about, you know, when you came down for Sodom and Gomorrah? And Lord, certainly, you know, 
And I just started going down the list. And I'm like, certainly this doesn't mean that if someone backslides, they can't ever make it back. And then I thought, well, I've seen that happen. So God, what are you saying here? And, and the phrase that God began to highlight for me to look at was, if they shall fall away. First of all, there's an if there. That's a, that's a contingency, if. And then the phrase, fall away. You see, it indicates that they once had experienced the new birth. They had tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. That means they were born again. But here's what fall away means very simply. Are you ready? It means to deliberately renounce Christ. If that sounds similar to you, it's because laying aside all sin means to deliberately renounce sin. In other words, it's the same action, but instead of deliberately renouncing sin, you're deliberately renouncing Christ. The Bible explains how and why a falling away happens. You see, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Paul explains that a falling away precedes the revealing of the Antichrist. And then later in the same chapter, beginning of verse 10, he says, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this God, cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might all be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I don't want anybody to spend eternity apart from and away from Jesus. You've heard me say it before from this pulpit. Hell was not made for humanity. It was made for the fallen angels. So I preach this part of this message under a burden today. Asking you to examine yourself. To please lay aside all that sin, that inward malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and get rid of it and desire the Word of God. Empty yourself of yourself and sin and fill up with God. There's a story Jesus tells, an account in Scripture, and He says that an evil spirit leaves a man he's delivered and he goes and he comes back and if he finds that man empty, swept, and garnished, he goes and gets seven worse spirits and they come back and inhabit that person. I looked at that one day. I wanted to know more of what it meant. And swept and garnished are two very powerful, good words. Swept is what it sounds like. To clean, to, to procure, to, to get rid of something. Garnish means to set in order. It's from the Greek word where we get cosmos from, to set things in order. In other words, to, to establish something. I'm like, well, that, that's a good thing. But empty means to be idle. Not just empty, not just not filled up, but it also means to be idle. It's okay to sweep out some things. We need to do that. It's, it's very good to set things in order. But we can't remain empty. We've got to fill up with the Word of God. I want people 
to spend eternity with Jesus. I want them to celebrate around his throne and do whatever we're going to do for all eternity long in heaven. Amen. But the way we get there is to make sure I'm not falling away. I'm not deliberately renouncing him, but rather sin. I'm getting rid of it. I'm searching inwardly to make sure nothing holds me back. The three positives that we see from 1 Peter 2, 1 and 3 of laying aside sin, desiring God's word, and growing in Christ are countered by Satan and his three temptations of control, idolatry, and pride found from 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Listen to this. The lust of the flesh where he talks about there asks the question, who's in control, God or your flesh? Are you listening to your father or are you listening to your flesh? The lust of the eyes asks the question, whom do you serve? Are you serving self or are you serving your Savior? And the pride of life asks the question, in whom do you base your identity? Is it based in Jesus or is it based in you? So before we take communion today, I want us to examine ourselves. I want us to just take a moment and look inwardly. I'm going to pray in the microphone, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I want to say this before we start praying. The scripture that we read, that God anointed Paul to write, says that we need to examine ourselves. It does not say that the pastor has to examine you. I say that to say that I'm not going to judge and say you can or can't take communion. I I hope everybody does. What I am going to say is examine yourself according to what Scripture says. So as we pray, would you look inwardly for a moment? And if there is the remotest possibility that something is inward within you, like those inward sins I mentioned or others, would you do what David did and say, Lord, Created me a clean heart. Renewing me a right spirit. God, we pray right now. And I pray that you would search my heart. That you would look into my spirit. Look to the depths of my innermost being. And cleanse me. Wash me. Purify me. I don't want to fall away. I don't want to walk away from you. I want to lay aside all sin. I want to renounce it deliberately and walk away from it, not you. So help me now to love your truth. And if your truth hurts a little bit, if it convicts me, I thank you for that because it means I'm alive. It means I have a chance. It means, oh Lord, that you love me because you only rebuke and chasten those whom you love. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for correction. Thank you for reproof. Thank you for rebuke. Thank you for long-suffering. Oh, God. I love you, Jesus. I know that when you step into a situation, everything changes. And God, I feel your presence here now. I feel the presence of your holy angels here now. In Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. Paul teaches us to die daily, which is in part a little bit of what I just prayed. It's making sure inwardly everything is right with God. You see, holiness is not, and separation is not just an outward thing. It is, it's, it's very much so that, but it's also an inward thing. I don't want to be whited sepulchers, but full of dead men's bones. Amen? Now, I wonder if we could just take a moment to thank God, because again, as you heard me pray, Jesus said, He only rebukes and chastens those whom He loves. And discipline only comes from God to those whom He loves. You know, I guess Pastor Lucas, it could go without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. These types of messages, you know, God speaks them to us first and we deal with some things. We look inwardly. We, we face some of that. And every preacher in this room knows what I'm talking about. And so I, I hope you've heard my heartbeat today. But more important, I hope you've heard God's heartbeat today. 